today's podcast, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We've got Doug Gottlieb picking the entire bracket for you. So if you don't know what you're doing with the brackets, Doug Gottlieb and I go through every single pick. And then Meta Sanford Artest, his career, little Johnny's talk in there as well, and how he sees some of the players of today. And life advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I want to talk a little baseball today. You guys know I love a good CBA discussion, and congrats to the players and sort of owners working this out. Uh, as you could see, it was very clear. The owners were going for it, hoping the players would give in. The players didn't. And so some of those earlier projections, they definitely moved towards the players' favor. But like in any negotiation, if you just ask for something ridiculous and then you come to the middle, which the middle of maybe is what you always wanted if you were the owners, it feels like some kind of win for the players. And I've seen different arguments. The players could have gotten more. They should have held out even longer. Um, again, it was a lockout, so it was owner-induced uh, labor strife. But in this case, you know, those of us that still love baseball, we get baseball back and we're not going to really miss much time except for some spring training. But the reason I bring this up is that it's now the 10-year anniversary of the heist of the century, the Miami Marlins. Now, let's go back to 2012. They spent, the Marlins did, they spent on players and free agency for a total of $194 million. That was a lot of money 10 years ago in baseball. They signed Jose Reyes, six years, $106 million. They signed reliever uh, Heath Bell, three years for $27 million. And they signed starting pitcher Mark Burley for four years and $58 million. There was even rumors... I guess it's true that they made Albert Pujols a huge offer for 10 years and $220 million, but I still think that ended up being low for him at the time. And um, he wanted a no-trade clause, and the Marlins weren't going to do that, which is like, okay, the Marlins aren't going to give you a no-trade clause. Dun, dun, dun. So I was reading through some of the quotes from 10 years ago after the Marlins because they had a new stadium opening up as well, too. So they wanted to show off the new stadium. They're going to load it with players. They're going to finally spend, invest in the investment in them. It was going to be one big happy baseball party in South Florida. Uh, The quotes from different pieces. The Marlins quieted skeptics. Uh, There's another quote that I love. There's something very 1997 about these Marlins. And... The reason why everybody was excited is like, hey, the city stepped up and helped pay for the stadium. Let's look at some of these numbers here. Um, Although it was somewhat privately funded by Jeffrey Loria, the owner, art dealer, 
it was like, I don't know, 20% privately financed. There was about $488 million in bonds from Miami-Dade County that were issued to be able to pay for this stadium. Now, we can probably move a couple decimal points around here or there. I double-check, triple-check these numbers. They're all kind of all over the place, but I'm just at least giving you the ballpark. Hey, no pun intended. Numbers on, on the investment once ownership and Miami leadership, Marlins leadership, were able to get taxpayers uh, to fund the stadium. Now, the scary part for Miami, as residents down there know, that this deal may cost... $2.6 billion, $2.8 billion to taxpayers paying down this financial decision that basically every single politician that was pro-Marlins is out of work right now. Um, and the numbers on this $2.6 billion bill due to the taxpayers, uh, they're saying that might be paid off in 2049. So it's like, wait, that doesn't seem like a great deal. But part of the Marlins deal to the city was, well, if we sell this franchise, we'll pay you back some of the profits of that sale back to the county. So a lot of this sounds kind of good, right? Hey, new stadium, not great. Mostly publicly financed. That part sort of sucks. But hey, baseball. And they just went on a spending spree in free agency. Or did they? This is why it's such a con, and this is why people should have been able to figure it out, but sometimes contract details aren't as precise as we need them to be. You want to know why this was bullshit, and it was always bullshit from day one, and after they had traded Jose Reyes, Mark Burley, Heath Bell, and some other players as well for prospects, because they, they, they traded them after they played there for a year, and they started saying, oh, well, we lost all these games, we weren't good, we had to reassess, we had to do all these different things. No, you didn't. You only sign these players to show off that you were actually going to spend for a year while your intention was to never pay these players the rest of the remaining contracts to then make the city feel better about paying for the stadium that you were going to profit off once you sold the baseball team. Now you're asking, Ryan, well, how do you know this? Well, because I've never seen contracts this backloaded. And that was always my point when I finally learned about this when I was doing radio. Reyes got six years, $106 million. $10 million was paid by the Marlins in that first year. It was backloaded on an average of $22 million over the last three years. You want to tell me some contracts are backloaded in sports? I'll agree with you. There's no way this is a coincidence that all three contracts were backloaded, contracts were backloaded this much. Heath Bell, three years, $27 million. The first year they paid him $6 million. $6 million was paid out of that three-year deal. Mark Burley is the most egregious one. Four years, $58 million. The Marlins paid him $6 million in the first year. The last two years of that deal were $18 million and $20 million. So clearly the plan all along was, hey, once they pay for our stadium, we'll pretend we're actually investing in the team. We're going to backload the shit out of these contracts so we're never on the hook for any of this money. And we're going to pay them like less than half, and in this case for Burley, almost a third in the first year of what somebody else is going to have to pay for them later on. And they traded all, all of those players played one year. And to add to that, after everything had worked out for the Marlins, David Sampson, you may have seen him on Levitard's show a lot, and he was, I think, the first guy off a of survivor, which is the least surprising thing ever. Um, he said, quote, I don't have to hold back now that the stadium is built. We're not the smartest people in Miami, which didn't go over well 
insulting everybody there in Miami. But then he was, I guess, trying to compliment everybody that was in that room. I mean, he has a ton of quotes over the years that don't make a ton of sense. Uh, when they were talking about potentially moving to Vegas, he was like, hopefully the casinos will buy all the tickets to keep people in the casinos and out of the ballpark. Quote, we don't care if nobody comes. We'll play in front of nobody and we'll have all the money. But here's where it gets really gross. Because the Marlins, who were bought for a, around $150 million, I've seen 153 158 back in 2002. Remember, that was part of John Henry getting the Red Sox ownership, the Expos folding up, and then Loria coming down to Miami, which was the worst thing that could have happened for that community. But it was another hand-picked Bud Selig owner transaction, so I guess Bud Selig liked it. They're bought for $155 million-ish in 2002. They sold for $1.2 billion like 15 years later. It's another reason why whenever the owners complain about all the lose money they're fucking losing, which they're not. Again, my, my analogy is this. If I own a home where the utilities, mortgage, and insurance are keeping me in the red every month, but I know that I'm going to be able to sell the home in 10 years for twice as much as I paid for it, then I can probably handle the cost of, of operations. Or you'd like to think so. But that's never the math. They don't ever they don't like to share that math with you because that math doesn't back up any position ownership ever has. I don't care about your day-to-day costs if the appreciation is a guarantee. And in what world is your business supposed to be guaranteed to make money? And if you don't make money, that somehow it's always the employee's fault? That doesn't make any sense. So they sell for $1.2 billion after you know clearing about a billion dollars on this. And then remember that part where the Marlins had to pay back the city some of the profits? Apparently, that number's five and a half million. If that number's, I've looked it up. That's what I've seen. And it would make sense that that was just another way to fuck over Miami Day. And then Samson, who was um, part of a Levitard birthday show, he came out and he was saying he was playing sort of the wrestling heel. But the video's out there. He said they started booing Samson as he came out because, look, they, they ripped off the city. They lied. They pretended they signed free agents. They bragged about having a new direction as a franchise. They said that they traded the players because they weren't good. When you can tell because of the way the contracts were structured, these players were never going to stick around. And it was a total con. And Samson getting booed said, quote, here's why I love you when you guys boo me, right? I want you to keep booing me because guess what? 1.2 billion. Fuck you. And you know what? He's right. He's right. And that's why I never take the owner's side. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. 
Good friend Doug Gottlieb joins us, and here's the exercise. If you need help filling out your bracket, we're going to fill one out every single game with Doug. We'll get a Final Four and a national champion. All right, so Doug, I have all the games. I'll run through them. I imagine in the first round or so, we, we can probably go a little quicker, so we'll just bang them out. Are you ready? Vermont, national champion. People are knocking their schedule. We'll get to that a little bit later because they do make threes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Gonzaga, Georgia State. I think we'll put the Zags in. Yep. Boise State, Memphis. Oh, it's a good game. I've I've seen Boise four times in person. And they've gotten better every time. But I've also walked away like, man, are they good? Are they just okay? A weird team. They won their league. They won their conference tournament. Memphis, one of the hotter teams in the country. The old addition by subtraction. Shocker there, Monty Bates gone, and they start to win. Um, but Boise's old, man. They got old dudes. They got a bunch of fifth and sixth-year guys. I'm going to take Boise State. Okay. And uh, I'll take a Boise State to win. UConn, New Mexico State. Closer game than people think. New Mexico State, uh, really talented. A lot more talented than they I like this UConn club, though. I like RJ Cole. They have all the makings of one of those fun UConn clubs that go on a little bit of a run here. Um, I do think it'll be a close game. Like, sit there and go, like, Mexico, really? But they have way better players than anybody else in the MAC. Uh, they have they have a, a lot of size, a lot of athleticism. I, I think it'll be, like, if I was doing gambling picks, I would take an under uh, and close. But I, I think UConn win. Okay, Arkansas, Vermont. I don't know if you can. I don't know if Arkansas is ready for the Ryan Davis Ben Chungu combo, but I do think it's a weird game. Like for Arkansas, like they've had so many duds and no shows, right? Especially outside their own arena. So uh, I'm going to take Arkansas, but John Becker, man. See, everybody says he can't get a job because he's boring. Like I don't know, is winning really that boring? First of all, he's not boring, but I could see why, if you don't know him, you would be like, oh, you know, because he's not going to come into the interview and do the thing where it's like, it's about energy, it's about culture, it's about all these things. The guy can fucking coach, (laughs) right? He can coach multiple different ways. He's had the best run of talent that UVM has ever had, even with the prior coaches before him. The fact that he's still there, and look, I love that he's at UVM. But I can't believe a bigger school hasn't hired him because it's not just that he's recruiting to Burlington, which is a great town if you actually visit it, but it's not some destination place for Hoopers. And now guys have been going there steady for years, and he's changed what they've done so many different times that he adapts to his players. I can't believe he's still there. So there you go. Yeah, how about, how about, how about UMass is now hired? You're going to hire a second coach, and he's like right down the road. You can't. Can you do better than John Becker? I don't understand how that works. I don't know, man. I mean, it's UVM's win, but I just realized, you know, anybody's competitive, and Becker should have a much bigger job. I mean, he's just, he's proven it. All right. Bama and the two different options here, Rutgers and Notre Dame. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame's favorite in that game, so go ahead. Give us that one. I think I think Rutgers wins that game. Okay. The, 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 uh, the Notre Dame game. And then I think Bama beats Rutgers. Bama's a weird team too, right? Like they've tried to figure out the point guard spot. Is it JD Davidson's team? I think it is. Uh, they have some total no shows as well, but I do think the SEC is going to have a really good tournament because I think they have really good players and they're well coached. So I'm going to go. Uh, I'll go Bama, but again, this this will be a close game. 
Rutgers or Notre Dame, either one, they're going to, Notre Dame will hold the ball a little bit on them. Rutgers, they play slow and very physical. So um, I do think, you know, Rutgers at times doesn't really have a point guard. They play Mulcahy at, at times at the point. He's got like your typical white headband guy. Does every white headband guy have to be the type of guy you want to punch? Is that, is that a rule? I can't believe Virginia Tech's point guard doesn't wear a white headband, Murphy. And then they got another kid coming off the bench from Oklahoma. That's, that kid should wear a headband, too. I was the kind of guy that should have worn a headband. <laughs> I should have worn a headband. But I didn't. These are missed opportunities. All right. Three seed Texas Tech, Montana State. Uh, there's a guy, Sprinkle, is going to get a job. But um, a Texas Tech. Okay. Uh, you know, a really, really old team. They struggle to score some, but not against Montana State. Michigan State, Davidson. So, you know, Foster Lawyer is their point guard. He was like the backup at Michigan State last year. And he played for Dane Five's dad in high school. Um, I don't love Michigan State, but you're going to run like motion. I, I don't see it for Davidson. He's down. They're really well coached and they're really good. They're one of the few teams that plays a true motion offense. You know, really moves it. That's hard to scout against, but I do think there's a talent factor where I think this one's really close. I think Michigan State wins. All right, Duke, I imagine, over Cal State Fullerton. We'll get to Duke a little yes. bit later. Uh, Baylor, we'll pencil them in over Norfolk. Um, North Carolina Marquette. Weird one, right? Because we, we talked about Marquette at the start of the year, and then we pretend like they didn't exist the rest of the year. And then North Carolina, we all thought sucked at the start of the year. And then obviously they came on strong at the end of the year. Um, I do think, you know, one way to rattle North Carolina is to make it into, make it into a run and jump kind of street ball AAU sort of game, whereas they want to be more regal. But I, I like this kind of North Carolina crew recently and their, their guards. Um, I'll take North Carolina by slight margin. Their bench isn't very good. All right, St. Mary's against either Wyoming or Indiana. Indiana's really good, and with Xavier Johnson playing well, they're so much better. Uh, Wyoming's funky. Wyoming, if you look at their splits, the first half of the season when people saw them in the Mountain West, Wyoming generally dominated the league. In the second half, people kind of started to figure them out. They kind of invert their offense. Like they have, except for one big EK, they can all shoot and they post up some of their guards. So they're a little, they're just a little weird to play against. I'm going to take Wyoming to win the first one and then St. Mary's to win the first round. I, knowing full well, I think Indiana's probably better and Indiana would give Indiana St. Mary's be a hell of a game. Both like to play slow, both would play like in the 50. They're both really good defensively. Um, but I, I think St. Mary's beats St. Mary's beats Wyoming. That's where we're going. All right, UCLA Akron. UCLA. Texas Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech very people very upset about an eleven seed there. I'm not sure they watch Virginia Tech all year, but uh That's all they 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 just parachute in and they watch in March and they're like, Oh my god, Virginia Tech, ACC. Like yeah, the ACC actually sucks. Um uh Texas is a hard team to figure, man. They just go stretches without scoring. Stretches. Um, I'll take Texas. 
Purdue, Yale. Uh, closer than you would think because Purdue doesn't really guard, but they're so big. Purdue. You had a really good. Well, you know, I'll wait on Purdue a little bit later because I want to do JJ and Ivy. I want to do it later though as we get we keep moving here. Uh, okay. Murray State, Murray against San Francisco, seven ten. Murray, I like San Francisco. Seen them all year. I think the speed and quickness. They they have like a speed and quickness. Um ability that nobody else in the Mountain West has, I think Murray has that. All right. Jabari Bouye, he's a stud fifth-year guy for San Francisco, but he's just he's just quicker than everybody in the WCC, and I don't think that's the case when they get outside the WCC. All right. We'll find pencil in Kentucky against St. Peter's. All right. Arizona. Um, we'll just go ahead and put him down as the one seed. That's Wright State Bryant, people are wondering. Um, yep. dude, that kid from Bryant, all set with that. <laughs> He's exactly what you think a white kid from a school in Rhode Island that you'd never heard of would be like if he led the country in scoring, right? I just always thought it was funny when you'd be like, like you get that I don't defend Marshall Henderson, right? Like you get that <laughs> I don't like, you know. <laughs> Whenever like certain players get criticized, you'd be like, so does that mean you think I like Marshall Henderson? You think I like watching this? All right. All right. Uh Seton Hall, TCU. Oh, good one. Uh I'll go TCU. Ah, over the hall. All right. Yeah, kids in the hall. All right. Houston UAB. <laughs> and I really like Houston before injuries. And I like UAB. Uh, I'll go Houston. Yeah, they're missing like two guys, and they're still winning games, huh? Yeah, two two starters, two of their best players. It's unbelievable. Kind of crazy. All right, Illinois against Chattanooga. I want to be close, but uh, I'll take uh, Illinois. Okay, Colorado State against Michigan. Everybody loves that Roddy kid from Colorado State, the football player. Hey, Roddy. Yeah, yeah, he's from Minnesota. He's good. Um. I don't think, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think Michigan's guards are great. I think Colorado State will eat them alive. I'll go with Colorado State. All right. Tennessee against Longwood. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Ohio State, Loyola. Um, Ohio State. Uh, they need the time off. They're actually really good. Have you seen that freshman play they have? Yeah. Malachi Barnum. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's dead. He's dead. I follow the program on Twitter. I get a lot of the a lot of the clips. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Villanova, Delaware. Nova. All right. Kansas will just put through. Uh San Diego State Creighton. Oof, tough one. Um, I would pick pick Creighton straight up. They're playing better than I thought. You know, they don't have Nemhard, their their point guard. I'm gonna take San Diego State. Okay. All right. Iowa, Richmond. Iowa. Providence, South Dakota State. I want to be close. South Dakota State's good. Uh, I'll take Providence. LSU against the Cyclones, Iowa State. LSU. All right. Wisconsin, Colgate. Uh, Wisconsin. And then USC, Miami. USC. And I'm sure it's Auburn over Jacksonville State. Okay. All right. So back to the top of the West. 
we have Gonzaga, Boise State. Gonzaga. Okay, UConn, Arkansas. Uh, let's see here. I'll go with UConn. Bama, Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Michigan State, Duke. Duke. Baylor, UNC in the East. Baylor. St. Mary's, UCLA. Oof. Oof, UCLA. Texas, Purdue. Purdue. Murray State, Kentucky. That's going to be a great game. I'm going to take Kentucky, uh, but that'll be a great basketball game. Arizona, TCU. Arizona. Houston, Illinois. Illinois. Colorado State, Tennessee. Tennessee. Ohio State, Nova. Oof. That's a good game. Um, Nova. Kansas, San Diego State. Kansas, but not by a lot. Iowa, Providence College. Oof. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Iowa. All right, so Providence kind of had their run this year where it was all these close games. I pay more attention to them. Family connections to the program, long history with the Friars. But what Keegan Murray's doing for Iowa right now, can you give us a little bit of breakdown on this kid? So uh, he, he and his twin brother were not crazy heavily recruited. Um, dad played at Iowa. He's all of 6'9". And, I, you know, he just gets better every time you see him. Every time you see him. And he does all kinds of little things because he, he wasn't a big scorer last year, right? So he's, you know, I think his defense is really good, pretty good. I think he uses his length in, you know, always contesting missed shots. Uh, he's a willing passer. But he's so big that whether it's a fadeaway or just a straight-up jump shot, he has confidence to just rise and get it up over people. I mean, he's unbelievable. Uh, great hands, gets his hands on everything, doesn't drop a ball when it's thrown his way. No real ego. Like, here, here's one for you. You know how teams get the team shoe the start of the year? Like, every Nike team gets the Nike. This year, it's the Kyrie team shoes. Yeah. And then I would say 99% of all stars in college basketball kind of do their own thing, right? They go to the manager. They're like, I want MJs. I want this. I want that. Kids, I, he's the only one I've seen still wearing the team's shoe. Still wearing the team. These white, <laughs> basic Kyries. And I was like, still rocking those? He's like, yeah, I like them. That's it. Yeah, I like them. You didn't think about maybe, I don't know, getting something like, nah, I like these. They're fine. You know what? That's Which a really... Exactly- 
Yeah, that's a really important story. Like people can laugh and think, what? and they'll be like, no, you don't get it. Like that's that's totally like, if you're wired that way, it's the kind of guy you want. Yes, yes. And his brother's sneaky good too. So, uh, but he's great. I would say in the NBA, he's a, you know, he's that same Jabari Smith sort of position, right? Where he's a three, four, and play some two as well because he can handle and shoot. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he's not a, more refined version of Jabari Smith. And I really like Jabari. He's the number one overall pick. He's really, really good. This kid's really good. Okay. LSU, Wisconsin. Um, most years I would take LSU because they just have dudes, right? Um, you get what big ass offers is dudes. This case, I will take Wisconsin because Wisconsin has a dude. Johnny Davis, the guy who can just win them games. That's the difference in them in previous years. They have a guy who can go win them games. I think Johnny can go win the game. All right. USC Auburn. Um, I mean, Auburn's guards can drive you crazy. Crazy. And with you, crazy. But I, somehow that works for Bruce where they don't play scared in the NCAA tournament. So I'm going to go with Auburn. They should okay. play a little bit more scared than they do, but they don't. They don't give them a. They don't give a shit. No, they don't. They don't. And they, I, I, anytime I've watched, I don't know, five of the last seven Jabari games, and I just want to be like, can somebody get a mock draft to this backcourt? <laughs> <laughs> and they don't, they don't read the mocks. Nope. <laughs> I, they when, don't they, care. when kids say they don't read the mocks, we never believe them. I'd believe that backcourt that they've never read a mock draft. So, or, uh, or that they're trying to prove every mock draft wrong. That's what they're Okay, yes. let's head back to the West as we get move on okay. to the Elite Eight. Zags, UConn. Oh, big game. I'll take Zags, but a very close game. All right, Texas Tech, Duke. This is a Duke team. Latest projection on ESPN. It's five first-rounders. That might be a little aggressive. There may be, but there's four. There's definitely four. And Bencaro is somebody who... If you watch in glimpses, and I've said this all season, but like when you watch certain parts of it, you go, how is anybody going ahead of this guy? But then I think, oh, well, you start watching more of the stuff. But I don't love worrying about kids that float, especially when A.J. Griffin is a lottery guy now. And there's other guys that want to show that they're first-round picks too. So I can't tell if it's a Paolo thing or if it's a Duke thing. But it now feels like even with all that talent, people are just a little scared off from Duke. And it probably has to do more with the North Carolina game than it does the Virginia Tech game. Agreed. Um, I'm going to take Duke, knowing that Texas Tech can take you out of everything you want to do. But the way to beat Duke and to score against Duke is with middle ball screens. That's not how Texas Tech – I just don't know how Texas Tech will score. I don't know how Duke will score, but I think Texas Tech will struggle even more to score, even against Duke, who's not great defensively. Right. So I will take I will take Duke for what will be it. I mean, Texas Tech, no, those guys are grown men. They got like four of their 24-year-olds, 24 years old or older. So they're going to get after you. Uh, that one's a game for the under, but a game I think you take Duke because they can just score a little bit more. So where are you on Paolo then? I like him. I like him a lot. I mean, I wouldn't take him ahead of Jabari. I'm honestly not sure I'd take him ahead of Keegan, but I um, – I like him a little bit more than Chet, it, just because I have so many questions about what Chet's body and game looks like when he puts on thirty pounds. Okay, all right, we'll no. get to Chet. Do, I just don't know. I, I just don't know where it goes. All right, he does that big shoulder. Baylor, despite missing a ton of guys, 
and maybe people are cooled on him a little bit here against a UCLA team that, you know, makes it to the conference final. I think that's maybe part of the knock on UCLA and Arizona. Some people think that, I don't know, do you think the Pac-12 was worse than any other Power Five? No, the ACC was worse. The, the, bottom, the bottom of the Pac-12 is pretty bad. Right. It's pretty bad. Okay. Um, uh, they're all bad. I mean, they, they, but their bottom of the Pac-12 is bad, right? Like, you're talking Cal. And they're also traditionally good programs, right? Cal, Washington, Stanford. Like, those are good programs to be down at the bottom there. Utah, ugh, awful. You know, so, and Arizona State was disappointing this year. Colorado is still disappointing. So, yeah, I mean, basically, and then Oregon, I think everybody thought Oregon would have this finishing kick and would be in the tournament, make some noise. They're not. So, it, it's fair to say that for the Pac 12, it doesn't take away from UCLA's team, though. Like, you can come from a shitty league and be good. I think UCLA wins this game. All right. Purdue, Kentucky. Oof. Right. Give me your give me your Jaden Ivy here because he's a projected top five. I have one team that told me they have him second. Now that's not the final decision maker, and I don't think this team's going to be in the mix, so it doesn't matter. I have a bigger thing that I'm working on with the with the top picks, but um, I I would agree with he's so impressive physically. But I think, as you said, I forget which game was it the Illinois game recently. I forget where you were like what well, the no, hell's I just, going I, on. I watched him a couple days. I watched him a couple days in a row. And, yeah, you know, there's a connectivity issue there, it feels like, you know, where he's playing and kind of doing his own thing and Purdue is playing and kind of doing their own thing. It doesn't always feel like it's one thing. But he has he has traits that you're like, wow, he's got a gear nobody else has for a kid his size, too, because he's a good 6'2", 6'3". He's got good positional size. And he's a freak athlete with that kind of Russell Westbrook explosiveness and downshift. And then he's incredibly agile going to the hoop. But he's, his game is also very um, uh, underdeveloped in terms of some of the refinement in going to the basket. Like, he knows how to snake a ball screen, but sometimes when he goes up to shoot, he leaves himself in a position where he can only shoot, he can't pass. Or he goes up to pass, he can't shoot. His shot that he has is more of a kind of a set shot, which he's gotten to where he can really make. But I do wonder, you know, if he can shoot off a ball screen or off a catch a little quicker in the pros. He's really, really talented. But the the, the issue with him is there's a there is a uh, there's a level of confidence that borders on arrogance with how he carries himself. And like, look, we've seen it with other guys, and it's worked. You know, there's a lot of critical criticism of. Trey Young, when he came out of not being kind of one of the guys, Michael Porter Jr., like those guys are, Scott's call them bubble boys, right? Where they're raised with one thing in mind, that's to become a pro basketball player. And they, they, they miss some of the, I, I guess, back, lack of a better word, normalness of just regular dudes. And I think Jaden might fall into a little bit of that. There's definitely an awkward sort of interaction with him and his teammates. They know he's more talented than they are. He knows he's more talented than they are, but it's all about how it, translates i guess it's and you can really see it in person and not the only one with this thought right so what does that mean for the nba well like look he's gonna have way more space to get downhill and he'll be incredible if he continues to improve his jump shot the way he did from year one to year two he should be incredible but if you're going to be the face of a franchise the star player 
guys have to want to play with you and play for you. And I don't know if he's that guy just yet. Yeah. And by the way, that's my, my, my Illinois call, it was the Indiana game. Illinois was terrific. He wasn't, he just had a bad game against Indiana. I'm not just saying I'm writing him off. All right. So Purdue, Kentucky, you got Kentucky then? Yes. Okay. All right. To the South, Arizona, Illinois. Arizona. Tennessee, Nova. Uh, Nova. Kansas, Iowa in the Midwest. That's a heck of a game. Um, this, by the way, this Kansas team is not like it's a one seed talent wise. This isn't even really, it doesn't feel close to some of these other Kansas one seeds like that. I don't, no, this is it's not even debatable. This is, this is, this is actually, I, I can, I, I can make a case not only is Bill's best coaching job. But one of the things that happens to Kansas in the NCAA tournament is it does become about Jimmy's and Joe's, right? Like it shows how great a coach he is that they can win, win their league with this group. But this is not a national championship group. You know, Dewan Harris is just okay at the point guard spot. And then, you know, your center is a nice player. He kind of plays above his level sometimes. He's just okay. I mean, Ochai Baji's freak talent. He's become a great player. It doesn't strike me as like an alpha that can carry this team to a national championship. So I'm, I'm with you. Uh, you have me against Iowa. I'll take Iowa for the win. Why not? All right. America needs farmers. Wisconsin, Auburn. Oof. Uh, Auburn. At this point with Wisconsin, beyond Johnny Davis, it just scares the hell out of you, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Now our final four picks. Give me your Chet Holmgren full breakdown. Gonzaga against Duke. Um, so I talked to a GM that you and I both know well during a game, and he was like, have you ever seen a hunchback play in the NBA? I was like, I don't believe I have. It's like, I guess we're about to find out. He's like, I, I don't I don't think I can take him. Like, what do you mean you can't take him? It's like, you know, what does that look like when you have 30 more pounds put on you? And I think the big thing is, Ryan, you and I, have, we watch prospects for years, right? And you're trying to figure out what they're going to look like when they develop. And it, it really is an art. But he does not have wide shoulders. And you just wonder, like most of these guys, like Jabari, he's thin, but you can tell when you put weight on, he's just going to be a monster with his big shoulders and arms. I just don't know what Chet looks like or how he moves when he has that weight. Um, I think he shoots it a lot better in the NBA. I think he'll continue. There's nothing wrong with his shot just a matter of volume and of space that he'll get. Um, I think ultimately he'll have to defend fives, but he just will get shoved out of the way right now. And yeah, I don't, again, I don't know what it looks like when he fills out. That's, 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 I think the big, big question is not now it's trying to forecast the future and what that looks like. Yeah. I got to tell you what the way he moves, it kind of scares me. It does. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. It's going to take somebody with some juice, some equity as a general manager to go. I'm taking him one. Um, but I don't, I don't know, because I do love his game. I love the way he impacts the game in a very, very unique way. And and he can, there's two different things. His movement at his size is incredibly impressive. But the movement in between some of the stuff he's doing, I just watch it and go, I kind of know. I, I really locked in during the conference tournament with him. And, uh, and I still like him, too. 
No, and I'll tell you that also the people that have known him for a long time like him as a as a kid too. You know, some of these guys they get this little following and you know they they just wear you out. So I'm with you. I like him, but I wasn't like Jabari Smith. Kind of takes your breath away. Yeah, a little bit because he's not as big, but he moves like he's a guard, and he just does things kind of naturally. We're like, oh, that's what a star player does. Chet has yeah, Chet has this it factor with his his length finding the basketball. And I do believe that he'll be a big shot maker just because he can like Durant to shoot over guys. But he doesn't move like Durant. doesn't rebound like Durant did when he's a freshman. And I do wonder what it looks like when he puts on some size. And remember when Durant came out, people were like, yeah, but he doesn't post up enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he had no strength. He had no strength. And so you're like, what's that, you know, what's that look like? And like, I guess it doesn't matter. Nope, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. when you're one of the matter. smoothest scoring forwards the game has ever seen. Maybe the most. I mean, it's unbelievable. Right. Or drop 50, 54 there night. Yeah. Yeah, so that's right. the thing. You're like, you don't want to, you want to miss that. Are you like, damn, I don't want to miss this. On the other hand, he's very, he's just different, you know? Okay, let's do the final four in the title game. We'll wrap it up here. So okay. Zags Duke in the West. Uh, I'll do, I'll dig Duke. Okay. UCLA, Kentucky in the east. Kentucky. Arizona, Nova in the south. Um, Arizona. Although Nova, you don't want to play that. No thanks. Iowa, Auburn in the Midwest. Wow. Wow. Uh, I'll take Auburn. Okay. That leaves us with Duke against Kentucky. Kentucky. Arizona, Auburn. And for your national championship, two SEC squads from a Big Kentucky. 12 kid, Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. All right. They cut down the nets, New Orleans, April 4th. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, bro. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want, they taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Meta Sandiford, our test joins us today on the podcast. Now, you're not going to know this, but um, you are one of my all-time favorites. I'm a huge St. John's fan. And so I love that 99 team. And I remember uh, for the Ohio State game, the Elite Eight, I was in the grill and I just got into town and I sat down with my food and a beer and I'm like, I'm going to watch this game. It's going to be the best. And then a bus of Ohio State fans got off at the same spot in the grill and then it was just the worst. Um, yeah. I, I love that team, man. Yeah, we, we had we had a really good team. Um, that game was really unfortunate. I mean, we lost by two. Michael Rez, Cooney Penn. They had a really big guy too. I Johnson. That's his yeah, really big guy. Yeah, yeah. He was he was like, you know, kind of strong and you know, could finish around the basket. But that really hurt us, man. That was to go to the final four, man. That was that really hurt. Right. And you would have played UConn too. I know, because they they just beat us in the finals, you know, and they won a title that year. It would have been really good to, you know, hope, you know, try to get them back. But it it, it was definitely a great, a great ride. 
Yeah, I love that team because Eric Barkley, you know, at that point he was young and he was he was great. Um, and Bootsy, Lavar Postel, and then you had your guy Reggie Jesse too, who was a was a hometown guy, right? Yeah, Reggie Jesse. Me and Reggie from the same neighborhood. And then we had uh, you know, Tyrone Grant, who was really good that year. We had a we had a really good team. I thought we was going to win it that year. I mean, we from the year before that, and then you fast forward to the second year, my sophomore year, it was just night and day. Yeah. What was it about? Because I know Fran had you the first year and then Mike Jarvis took over that year. You guys had the tournament run. But I mean, was it why St. John's other than the location, obviously, but why St. John's? Well, you know, I mean, I was Franny pretty much built that team, you know, for the most part. And uh, and then, you know, he got fired and got Jarvis and Jarvis is kind of like an NBA coach, like real relaxed and calm. Um, And St. John's in New York City. You know, I wanted to always play and win a title in New York City. I'm kind of a proud New York City guy when it comes to basketball. And that was the main reason I wanted to bring a title to St. John's. I, I had other schools. You know, my, my major was, uh, I was going into college majoring in architecture. So Miami was probably the way, the place I should have went to. Um, the Notre Dame, I visited Notre Dame and they had a great architect program. So that was probably where I should have went. But when I, when I was thinking about it, I was just like, you know, if we could get a national championship right here in New York City, that would have been big. And, you know, I think when Tyrone broke his wrist um, in the midseason, I think that really hurt us because it took him a while to get back. He wasn't quite the same. And he was averaging 20, 20 and 10 at that point in time. So, yeah. Yeah, because it, it was a smaller team, but, I mean, it played like a New York City team. And that's what I, you know, I was going to St. John's fans in the uh, St. John's games in the early 80s. And I just always felt like that that program was a reflection of the city. And now, you know, things have changed in the Big East in itself or anything like that. Do you, do you still do anything with the program at all? Do you have any, any connection at all? Um, I, I'm not doing much with the program. I've been, to, I saw Luke on a second statue of Ville, so I wanted to go see that. I did some Zoom calls. We had like an old school 1999 Zoom call, so all players was on with, uh, with the new coach. And we also did some other things. Um, you know, but I'm a big fan of St. John's. You know, I, I like what they're doing over there. Yeah. So you don't get drafted by the Knicks. It's been over it. But what were those? I, I mean, let me back up. Just because your style was different, your your approach to the game, at least back then, because you came much bigger score in, in the NBA, but it was almost like, I'm just going to impact the game. I'm going to be out here. You're not going to run anything for me. I'm just going to impact the game. And that's what I always felt like you coming into the pros. So how was that transition for you from realizing like, hey, I actually am, I can be even better than I am as a college player, at least those first couple of years in Chicago? Well, I mean, it was all about the teaching. I knew I had the work ethic. I mean, I was 6'6", and, you know, a really good NBA body. I don't think I got a lot of the, the you know, the, the teaching that other players got, but I had the heart. But when I got to the NBA and I got with Larry Bird, one one season, I got with Larry Bird and Chuck Person. You know, my, my scoring started to go way up. You know, working with NBA people, you you, you just get better. You know, um, working with play Pete Myers. I worked with Pete Myers a lot my rookie year. So you know, a lot of credit to Pete. And then um, then in Indiana, got with Isaiah Thomas. You know, as a head coach. Then Isaiah got fired. Then I got with you know Chuck Person in the summer times, and then uh, Larry Bird playing with Reggie Miller. You know, things like that. I mean, you just go and get better. And I always knew I could score, but scoring wasn't important to me because I know the game of basketball. The game of basketball, it's the little things. That's what wins games. So playing for Riverside Church, you know, with Ernest Lodge and Thurman Player, we had Lamar Odom, Elton Frank. None of us ever averaged over 15 points. 
So we knew how to win just by playing hard and just being ready. You know, so when I got, you know, to St. John's, it was the same type of basketball. I was probably one of the best on the team, but I wasn't demanding the ball like that. It was like everybody just moved the ball, you know, and let's just win, right? Deflections, charges, steals, hustle, dive for the ball, that type of stuff. But when you get to the NBA, you know, everybody's not on that same page. You know, when, when I got to the NBA, it wasn't a lot of that. Like diving, you know, my rookie year, it was just like, I don't know what was going on. We were losing. Um, and then I figured that I had to score the ball because that's the only way I can, I can control the game. You know, so I got better on my offense so then I could be in control. You know, so for the majority of my career, the ball was going through me and um, Indiana, Jermaine, Jermaine, Indiana. Then Sacramento, I, I, I immediately became, you know, number one option. Houston with Yao, with Tracy. You know, you look in the playoffs, I averaged 20-plus. You know, and then with the Lakers, I didn't really have to do much, you know. But I was with Kobe and Powell, right, RIP Kobe. So at that point, it was just like sit back. But I was 29 in my prime when I was taking a huge role back, you know, which was like not ideal for a 29-year-old when you're trying to get one more contract. Um, but, but for the majority of my career, I, you know, I was, I was pretty much the offense is going through me for the most part. How important was it for you to get out of the city of Chicago? It wasn't important. I wanted to stay in Chicago. I just mentally, I wasn't ready for Chicago. Right. But I, I've heard you in other interviews where you admit that it wasn't so much the basketball part of it, but the off the court thing. Like, did you? Oh, yeah. Did you, I didn't, I didn't want to leave Chicago, honestly. But I think, like, when I first got there, the first thing I did was went to the hood. Like, the first, first thing I did, I went to Robert Taylor. I was in Robert Taylor Projects, Cabrini Green with some of my friends. You know, I was always really comfortable in the hood. I would drive back to New York City, go right back to Queensbridge. You know, staying in the hotel next to Queensbridge. You know, so at that, I was really comfortable, you know, um, and I wasn't really comfortable in, you know, a setting where it's professional, you know, you got money, you get your own apartment, you know, that just, so I was just always in the streets <laughs> as much as possible. Um, and then that kind of like, um, I, I, I was living kind of like two different, two separate lives, like playing, you know, I was playing with the Bulls. Um, and I was, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't just, it just didn't set in that, you know, I was an NBA player, you know, it, it didn't set in quick enough. Were people surprised? Were people like, whoa, you know, our test is here again this weekend? Or I mean, I, after a while, I imagine people were normal about it, but go ahead. Not really, because I'm from Queensbridge, where Mob Deep is from, you know, Nazi. So people knew I was from the project. So when people see me, you know, they, and Mob Deep was hot at 99, you know, so... And people knew I was from Queens because I always talk about it. So just being in the neighborhoods, you know, it was, it was just like, oh, you know, the Brad Hummus here today. <laughs> you know, um, stuff like that. All right. So you you make it to the Pacers. Um, what was the best conversation you had with basketball about Larry Bird? Or what's the best basketball conversation you had with Larry Bird? Oof, I had lots of conversations with Larry Bird about basketball. Um, but mainly it was like how to score. I remember um, asking, you know, Larry... Because I was working with him like every day when Chuck Person was on the court, Larry Bird was like sitting kind of on the side, coming down when he get a chance. You know, the work ethic was there and he gave us time. You know, this, this was one of my favorite moments in the NBA. You know, uh, I wish I could have stayed longer, but Larry Bird gave his time. You know, um, he gave a lot of time to me. Well, that one, maybe, a, maybe two seasons, maybe two summers, I think. And, um, he, you know, getting my elbow in to shoot because I wanted to become a better shooter. You know, so him and Chuck kind of got my shot right. 
Um, Chuck got my drives right. Larry also helped me with driving. So then, as you can see, the next season I was coming back. You know, I was on fire. You know, I was almost averaging twenty five, and still the best defender. I mean, that was that was a recipe for MVP. That year. you know, uh, you know, but I was, but it wasn't all me. It was, just, it, was it was a lot of Larry and Chuck. Yeah, I've said this, and I've argued about it, and I'm not just saying it because you're on, but I, I think there was that stretch there where there was a really good argument you were a top five player in the NBA. Oh, now, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I was, I was top, I mean, I made all, I made 13 all NBA, so that's top 15. You know, that, yeah. was, that was the year before. Then I came back averaging seven more points. Like, you know, it was, it was top 10, top five for sure. For did sure. You, did you notice, like, how did people... Because that's that's different, you know what I mean? Like, we've had Kawhi, we've had Giannis, we've had some really good development stories, but it, usually if you were going to be one of those guys, we kind of knew right away. So was that, did you notice how other people were talking to you about it, whether it was on the court, your teammates, or that kind of stuff? You're like, what's going on? I was just dominating. I was just dominating. You know, my position, even the year when I was an All-Star, um, I know uh, we had, I think, my, my guy Vince Carter and my guy Tracy was there, but we was the best team in the league. I felt like I should have started that year not because of anything else but we, just, we was just the best team you know what i'm saying and, I, and then and then i remember when coach carl <laughs> it was the end of the game and we lost that game and i was like it was the end of the game i was like coach you put me in the game man like it's also game. put me in the game maybe he had team i'm like this season this is my season you know what i'm saying so i, I want to be in the game put these guys on the bench but you know with that being said um it was a point in time where you know all small forwards had to come through me you know what I'm saying? Um, when the brawl happened, you know, I kind of took a year off, man. I had the year off. And then um, then I got suspended again, you know, the next season, you know, for being detrimental to the team. So that's like, you know, more than 82 games of out. So I got up to about 273. And then when I got to Sacramento, uh, it took me a while to come back, but I never got back down to that, to that weight I was at. But I was still averaging 20 a couple times, average 18. I was still playing very well. Made a first team all defense again. You know, um, and different things like that, but it wasn't. You know, the the rhythm was. It was just. Uh, it just. The rhythm wasn't there like it was in Indiana. <laughs> it wasn't there. Yeah, that peak Indiana stretch, although it was short. When you came back, I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, what happened? Oh yeah, and I was like, it was this crazy. Is- this is on. Uh, we've talked about the brawl a million times. I don't know what else is left to be said about it at this point. But is that how you got up to two seventy three? We just, what happened? Well, I was, I was like, I was, tra- I was training hard. I thought I was going to come back that year. Um, so I was training hard, but then at one point I just got depressed, man. I'm just like, <laughs> and then I, I was suspended indefinitely. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't know, I didn't even know like what that meant. I mean, that means indefinitely, right? So it's just like, at this point, you know, what else am I going to do? Like I'm training, I'm not playing, nobody's saying anything. So I kind of stopped working out and party a little bit. And, you know, I, and I, I mean, you talk about a 25 pound difference, you know, which was, you know, I was still young. So I was young enough to hold the weight and move it. And then as I got older, my weight went, went back down a little bit. But it was, it was really unfortunate because I was in such a good rhythm. <laughs> I was in such a good rhythm, man. It was really unfortunate. What was the worst conversation you had with David Stern as you were trying to figure out when you were coming back? It wasn't no bad conversations. I mean, he's he he just did a job. It wasn't like, you know, it was just come to the office and, you know, RIP David Stern. It was just like, come to the office and smiles, you know, because it is what it is at this point. You know what I mean? How you doing? Hey, Mr. Stern, how you doing? Like, 
it wasn't like, hey, I want to play, you know, uh, even though I really did want to play. <laughs> but that was it. It was, it was uh, and I actually spoke to him. I interviewed him like maybe eight years ago before he passed away for my website. So, I mean, we, we had a solid conversation. I mean, a solid relationship after. I wasn't happy with suspension at all. But, you know, relationship was kind of solid. It was just business, honestly. Oh, so it was pretty, it was pretty functional is what you're telling us. Like, it was just, yeah. yeah. I wasn't happy with suspension. I'm not going to say, I'm never going to say I was happy with that. <laughs> right. I wasn't happy with suspension at all because, you know, it was just, it was, I, I did, I, I overreacted, but, you know, I didn't start the thing, you know. Um, but, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, uh, but the relationship, I mean, it was just business. I understood this is not, I always understood that this is not my business, you know. Um, and so understanding that, you just move on, you know. So you wanted to go to Sacramento or you didn't want to go to Sacramento? Um, well, when I got traded from Indiana, I was, I was back and forth like, hey, I don't want to be here. Oh, I want to be here. I just play, just playing too many games. You know what I'm saying? Then finally, I, I was going to the paper. In the locker room is different, right? I can, I can be in a locker room or, or go take a meeting in the office with the general manager and, and vent. You know, like, I don't want to be here, you know, whatever the case may be, and then get over it. But when you do it publicly, that's where you tie the general managers and the organization's hand behind their back. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I gave Larry really no other choice because I said I don't want to be here. He wanted me there. But I said, I don't want to be here publicly without him even knowing about it. So then what happens is he says, all right, cool. We're going to get rid of you. And then the next day I said, oh, man, please take me back. <laughs> I don't want to go. I'm just like going through a lot. And at that point, it was too much because it's, it's just going back and forth. So I gave Larry no other choice, you know, which was very unfortunate. So I'm not saying I didn't want to be a king. I'm saying that, you know, I, I, handled, I handled it very unprofessionally. So when you asked Larry to keep you around at that point, once it had become public, what happens? Like, I know it you get traded. Too much damage, man. Too much damage. The brawl happened. They had my back. They supported me. And then I come out the next season and say, you know, I don't want to be there. Um, because it was actually, I mean, I was, I'm very, I was very irrational. You know what I'm saying? Very irrational. Um, and I'm super competitive. So one of the things, it was a couple of things that happened that year, right? One of the things was I really didn't want to go back to Detroit in an Indiana uniform. Not because I didn't like Indiana. Because it was, I was traumatized. I was super traumatized. So I didn't, I was really scared to go back, honestly. And then the other thing was, I was always very, uh, I would say, stubborn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was stubborn. Just like, you know, whatever, any great player, whatever the case may be. So I didn't want to change because of the brawl. Like, I didn't want to take my foot off that competitive gas or how I feel about myself because of the brawl. When I really should have. I should have been more... Uh, I should have had more um, empathy, I guess, towards everyone. But me, I, I, I take it up another notch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> instead of realizing that, hey, you know, the situation that happened put everyone in a tough spot. I didn't have that type of, uh, you know, empathy, you know, when I, when, I, when I was young. It was all about, it was all about me, honestly. I was, that's how I was very into myself. I asked Draymond Green this once. And, you know, he's a fiery guy, runs hot and everything. I mean, you know, whatever, there's, there's some differences, some similarities. And I said, you know, is there any part of you, you know, he gets thrown out of the game, the NBA finals, great argument to be made. He doesn't get thrown out of that. They don't blow the three, one lead. Yeah. And I was just like, Hey, do you think there's any version of you that that can dial? And this was in person. We were hanging out doing an interview in Toronto for the all-star weekend. And he just looked at me like I was the dumbest person ever. Like, he's like, why the fuck would it, you know, like why? 
why would I do that? Because if I don't have this approach, this mentality, then I can't ever be here. I'm the fat kid from Michigan State. That's a second round pick, you know, and that was that was kind of his point. And I also think, too, in, in fairness to you, you know, obviously you screwed up. You've talked about it a ton, but people understand you better now because you've shared so much more that I think there's at least a better way of of kind of getting to where you've been at certain times in your career, even if people disagree with the outcome. Um, it just feels like people now know you better because you've shared more about you and that part of your DNA that this is just the way I, this is how I've always had to compete. Queensbridge, the whole part of it. I've, I've heard you talk about it. I've read about you talking about it that, you know, we're, I mean, you didn't you play in a pickup game once or somebody got killed or something? No, nah, my friend, one of our idols died in a pickup game. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. They had a little drama and, uh, I wasn't there, but you know, he, um, but he didn't come back home and he passed away. His name was Lloyd Newton, actually, you know, I'll keep his name alive. His name was Lloyd Newton, one of our, one of our idols, you know. Um, it was very unfortunate. So the reason I bring all that up is just that as you're talking about it, like you, you almost had no choice. Like there was never another way that you were going to play is, is the point, correct? Um, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty intense. I mean, I was, I was playing with grown men for a long time. I was playing with, you know, a lot of, my some of my most amazing teachers, you know, being hustlers, you know, basically hustlers and dealers on the block. Honestly, that's where I learned the game from. Um, and 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 when those games is real intense, you know, what I'm saying those games get intense. It ain't it ain't about basketball. It's about your manhood, like you know. And you know, from learning that at an early age, it took me a while to um, understand. Like we only play like that in Queensbridge in the '90s. <laughs> we don't play like that everywhere else. Everywhere else, you know. You, you play basketball, you have a fun time, you know, but, you know, I, and I, and I think, um, you know, as I got older, I, I started to add a little meditation to my game, which, which helped me focus on the game, you know, uh, which I, I started to adapt that in Sacramento and then Houston. It was, it was just the most amazing thing ever because in Houston, I was probably my best in Houston, you know, in Houston, you know, I was hoping that version could have been in Indiana, you know, uh, I was hoping that version could have been in Indiana. <laughs> You know, so but I, I actually I actually got my swag back in Houston, and um, then when I came to the Lakers, it was pretty much over because I was playing with Kobe and Powell. So that was that was it after that. I think the other thing that's misunderstood about you too is that actually once guys get to know how much they like you, and I was watching you on the All the Smoke Pod with Stephen Jackson, and Matt Barnes, and Barnes, those guys are dying laughing that when you were in Sacramento and they had their We Believe run, you just started going to all the games, right? Because you were just, you were so excited about what they were doing. It was crazy. I was just like, cause, I mean, Dallas was, I think Dallas was number one that year. Yeah, they were. And um, and they beat Dallas. Like, it was crazy. Like, those are my friends for one. And this thing is it's happening. And it's like, you know, how do you get inspired? I was in Sacramento. I, I always knew I was going to be a champion. I mean, that's how I worked. I was working that hard. I was that type of player. And I'm just like, wow, these guys are doing it. Cause I was with a Sacramento team that we wasn't like that good with the exception of the first year, but then they broke us up, which was like, I don't know what, I don't know <laughs> what happened, you know, but they broke us up. I mean, I get to Sacramento being last place. I tell them we go to the playoffs. We go to the playoffs. We the, we the best team in the league the second half of the season, you know, and then they break us up. But anyway, the next season was kind of, we didn't have as good of a team. And to see what these guys did, I'm like, oh, wow, this is how we got to play. Like, we just got to play. <laughs> so I started to go to the game with the We Believe shirt. It was just, it was an incredible run. It was one of the, it was a historic run. So you were going to the locker room, though, and just and nobody, everybody was cool with it, right? 
I, I mean, I knew, I knew Al, I knew, I knew Stack. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like, I mean, I wasn't trying to be a warrior. I didn't want to be a warrior, you know. But I was really like, yo, you guys are killing it. <laughs> I'm like, this is. I, I was. I, I bought. I bought some seats, and I was just like, wow. It was just. It was incredible to see that. You know, Baron Davis. I know Baron. You know. So I just wanted to go and support those guys. As much as it hurt me as a as guy from Massachusetts in 2010, when you hit that three and you come back from down 3-2 with the Lakers, I was really happy for you because everything that you had gone through, I was like, this is a great moment because you hit that big shot. You win a championship. Um, and it, it's funny, too, because you're still young. You know, like it's it, you've, you played a long time and you played years beyond that. But how do you remember that moment for you and your career kind of coming full circle through all the shit? It was crazy, yo. That, that moment was crazy. I'm not going to lie because like that whole, that whole year was crazy because I was, I actually asked for a trade in, in November because I was like, there's no way it's going to work. I mean, I'm in my prime. Now, I just came off averaging 24 or something like that against the Lakers in the playoffs. And now I'm like not getting shot. So, you know, I told my age, I said, yo, you got to get me out of here now. <laughs> um, then I met with Bus. <laughs> I met with Dr. Bus and, you know, we, it, it never really escalated. I handled it the right way. And, you know, it was just about, we had, we had a lot of conversations and we met a lot, like on Sunday, we have, have breakfast. They just talk about, you know, winning championships, you know what I'm saying? So it kind of made me, you know, really take on the challenge of being a role player and perfecting that role, like being the best at that role. You know, some games, some games I would get two shots. You know, some games I got 10. It just, it just never knew. In the playoffs, I had, and I had my first two threes in game three against Boston. I had my first two threes, and that was it. I got four shots. You know, so that was more about staying in the moment, team basketball. I learned so much from that process because it wasn't about me. It was, you know, about Kobe and, and Powell, but it was about the team. Fisher, we, we, we heavily relied on Derek Fisher. I don't know if we went without Derek, honestly. Derek hit more big. Derek hit just as many big shots as Kobe hit. And, 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 and maybe more. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, you know, so, and then when you talk about that moment, I mean, well, that's, I, I'm, I'm 27 and 0 in high school. You know, 67 and 1 in AAU. You know, like, <laughs> and then everywhere else. I, I, I went everywhere. You know, everywhere. You know, so, it, I wasn't surprised. I was grateful. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't surprised. I was like, wow, like my moment's here. And I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, like, you know, I, I had some offensive rebounds, got some missed shots. I got some steals. I got the ball in the block, you know, and then I got a, you know, then Kobe was the kind of soft double and team basketball. And it just led to that. So it made me really feel like, you know, I, I almost was MVP which is like probably my biggest accolade that I never received. I finished six MVP voting. You know what I'm saying? I got defensive player of the year, was an all-star, got suspended a year where I was going to be more awards. That was going to be another first team all defense, probably second team all NBA, all-star, you know? So, and now I got the championship and I got the citizenship award. You know what I'm saying? So I got that. So it's like, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy. You know what I'm saying? With my career, I'm not all the way happy because I did want the MVP and I wanted a first team all NBA. 
I didn't get those two, but you know, it's okay. What was the relationship like with Kobe? It was very, it was very, um, it was, it was, it was just basketball, honestly, you know, I, I mean, Kobe beat me so many times, so I'm not happy in practice at for one because I'm super competitive. You know what I'm saying? So practice day one practice, you know, my, you know, my, my, my forehead like this and I'm ready to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Kobe too. Kobe probably more ready to go. So we, we had some situations in practice where we was able to compete against each other. He, you know, he did very well and I was very physical. Um, but then Phil Jackson has a concept where starters play with starters all year, no playing on other teams. So, you know, we had some really good moments. I, well, I, I cherish those moments because I was able to compete against Kobe every day, not just like once every month or once every three months or whatever. So, and, and, he, and he loves challenges. I mean, you can be as physical as you want with him and he embraces it. He thrives. Um, so for me, at times, you know, he's our best player. So at the same time, I don't want to overdo it. I don't want him to sprain a finger. You know, <laughs> I don't want him to... But I still want to be physical because I'm competing and I'm trying to get better. And he just embraced it, you know, which was like really cool. So we had a lot of, we, we, we talk a little smack, but then that was like when I first got there in 2009, 2010 or whatever, only maybe three weeks of really comp- competing like that. Because after that, we just went to the starters, starting group. And then that was it. We was on the same team for the entire season in every practice. Um, so it was, you know, it was great. Yeah, because it does not surprise me that Kobe would have embraced it. I can imagine there were some other guys throughout your NBA career where the practice experience, they hated you. Right? I mean, in Indiana, they embraced it. Steve Jackson embraced it. You know, Matt Barnes embraced it. But some people couldn't deal with it. Fran Francisco Garcia did a really good job because he's a tough guy. He's not big, though. He wasn't even 200 pounds, but I would really, you know... <laughs> I would go after him every day. And the reason I did, because he could take it. Um, some people couldn't take it, but, but for, the mo- for the most part, people was able to deal. People was able to deal, you know, was able to deal with it. You know, uh, but it was tough guarding me every day in practice. That's, not, that's just not easy. So if I'm, you look, I'm giving 100%. If you look at some of the guys today, and I, I know that like, there, there seems to be this push recently. I know you've, you've, you've spoke on this about like, hey, can Ben Simmons be in our test type? And, and you've <laughs> shot that down. Uh, yeah. Why do you why do you shoot that down? Because my career is not listen. Man, my career is not what I wanted to be. I just don't think it's fair to compare me. Even though, you know, I'm definitely one of the greatest wing defenders defenders ever played. I have that right. I got a couple things that I can stand on. But I, I didn't I didn't finish the job, man. These guys are gonna finish the job, man. These guys are gonna, you know, they're gonna go and have put up stats. They're gonna win. Even though in my era. Yeah, I would have, you know, I probably would have shut a couple people down, you know. But, you know, I just want these guys, you know, it's just not fair, you know. I just don't think it's fair to, you know, compare. You know, if my career was complete, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, I just don't think it's fair, you know, to, to, to compare those guys. I just think those guys have a better career. There are players, and it's, I think it's, there's a bit of an overlap. It's usually players before your era. And then into yours a little bit, they kind of look at a guy like Steph Curry and they get frustrated and think, well, if he played with us, um, how do you think you would do against Steph? What would you try to do against him? Well, I, I definitely would have had to guard him because um, I've guarded Iverson. 
You know, um, anytime I, anytime a player was scoring a lot on the wing, anywhere, honestly, <laughs> but anytime a player was scoring, was scoring, I, I would come up with the assignment. You know, I would have to guard him. Even, but now you're talking about a 255 pound, 260 pound, you know, small forward guarding Steph Curry, who quick. That would have been difficult because I think I think that would have been a little bit difficult because even when I, I had a, I had one good game against Iverson. I got Iverson twice, where I had where I was the assignment for that game. One game he might have had thirteen or fifteen, and then one game he might have had thirty or something like that. Um, so you know I, I can't really compare against Steph, but if you want to just like compare the games when I did guard point guards, that's the only thing, and it would probably have to be in my prime because I don't know if I could have guarded Stephen Curry after twenty nine, but if you look at what I did against Kevin Durant in the playoffs in two thousand nine. I mean, if you look at how I was guarding those screens, that was, I, I still look at that and I'm like, wow, that was a work of art. That was, I mean, when you look at how I was dodging each screen at 255 pounds, two, 260, <laughs> that's tough to deal with. Um, so Stephen Curry, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I would have had to be in my prime to, to sustain him. I got to ask, I, I'm sorry, because I'm just, I got, I got excited again when you talked about Iverson. Um, what what do you what do you do? What do you do when you go, okay, all right, Iverson's the assignment tonight. Um, what are the first things you're thinking about, the adjustment throughout it, talking to each other? Take us through that whole experience. Well, I remember the first time they said, you know, I remember I was in, I think I was Chicago or something. It had to be Chicago. I think it was Chicago. And I remember they, they was like, yo, you know, you got Iverson tonight. Um, contain him. <laughs> and I remember I wasn't really nervous, honestly, or anything like that, but He's so quick. You know what I'm saying? So I would, and he's strong. He's not strong, but he can take any abuse. You know what I'm saying? I'm not too big fives. You know what I'm saying? So you can't really rough him up. You know what I'm saying? So that was difficult. He's, he's going to get in there. He's going to bump. He's going to get N1s. He's really, it's, it's just, it was really weird like, to see him do that. And he, and he was successful. I mean, he had, I played against Iverson a lot of times, and for the most part, he was putting up numbers. Was would you guys talk to each other at all? I didn't talk to nobody. <laughs> you know, I didn't talk no to one. Nobody. You you never said anything. No. Not not. No. There's nothing to talk about. I don't want to get <laughs> dinner with you. I don't want. I don't want your number. Nothing. Like when I was playing, I was very like competitive. It stopped when I was like probably. I got to say, maybe, actually, maybe like 2013 or something. But I, I grew up um, not, you know, I grew up where you wasn't supposed to talk to the other opponent ever. Like, ever, ever, ever. After the season, if you see him on Bahamas or something, you, yeah, you say, what's up? But, but like, you wouldn't even, season, but I mean, you wouldn't even talking shit or anything like that? You just nothing? No, no I, I didn't talk shit. I just like, nothing. Just like, you, you know what I'm, you know what I'm coming to do. So it's very, it's that self-explanatory, you know what I'm saying? And, but I wasn't talking, I didn't talk trash. I didn't talk trash to anybody, you know? I never talked trash. And nobody really took, maybe Paul, Paul did talk, talk trash to me. <laughs> Pierce, what did he say? <laughs> Paul is probably the only one. And then Kobe, because actually, yeah, Kobe, Paul, but then that's it. I don't think anybody else, I, I never had any back and forth with. Okay, but you just laughed when you said Paul, because if anybody knows Paul Pierce, that's actually pretty predictable. All right, so what did he say to you? What did you guys talk about? 
Well, Paul was starting for one. Like nobody was starting talking to me at that time. Right? But Paul is crazy. Like Paul would just start out like you can't guard me. Like he's he's incredible, man. Like Paul is crazy. I, I that was one of my rivals that we didn't really get a chance to like. But we did actually. He's probably my only rival for me personally because they swept us in Indiana one year. Then we came back and swept their ass. <laughs> and then I, we beat them in the finals. So, but I, I feel like if I was if I was a state, if I was in Indiana, just stayed in the East, that rival would have been, that would have been really cool. But it just didn't come to life like that. I'm a big Paul fan because I just feel like there's a part of him that, because it wasn't flashy, he's just not appreciated. Uh, why was it so hard to guard Pierce? Well, um, I'm not going to say it was hard. I'm going to say, no, no, I'm not, because nobody was hard to guard. Some people would just had, could do things like, you know, Kobe could shoot, um, Durant's tall and fast. Like, I mean, it, it is what it is, you know? So, um, but Paul had everything like he could shoot. You couldn't, you, you can't really, you couldn't give him an inch. Right? You couldn't, you literally couldn't give him an inch. And people will always say, why are you all, always up on Paul like that? Because if I give him any room, he going to score the basketball. I have to, I have to be in constant denial against Paul Pierce. The whole game. I can't let him touch it. You know, because, um, I mean, he, he get, a, a, you know, one dribble, bump, fade, that's catch. You know, one dribble left, that's cash. He can finish. He's pretty athletic, too. You see what I'm saying? So that was, you know, he, he was super clutch. Also super clutch. So I was, it was all sorts of things I had to worry about when I had to play against Paul. When you watch somebody like Durant or Giannis now, um, you, know, you defended Durant. You never, you never dealt with Giannis, right? No. You were, yes, he was, was young. And he, was real, yeah. he was real slim. <laughs> he yeah. was real slim, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of asking you to compare the two. I don't know if you want to or not. I mean, they're uh, different. I think they both basically told it. They definitely different. They're not the same. Like right. Giannis, when he first came into the league, everybody's seen him. He, he, I mean, you could just, you could, you could just. I think I threw him on the floor one time. <laughs> you know, I think I might have threw him on the floor. Um, and now, you know, he's throwing people on the floor. It's night and day, and he grew. I think. I, I don't think he was. I don't think he was that tall when he first came into the league. He, I think he's seven one. <laughs> I think yeah, he's seven. I, yeah, yeah he's, he might be seven one or seven foot. You know, which is like crazy. So, and then Durant kind of got more wiry, strong, but Durant was real skinny when he came in. He still he he, he filled out. You know, but by the time you know it was like two thousand and twelve, he was he was he was ready, but like two thousand nine. He was still really good. He got 20 plus, but I don't think he was ready, you know, at that point in time. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I would love to see those guys, you know, go at it in the playoffs or whatever the case may be. They two different players. I mean, Giannis is for sure, you know, one of the most dominant players I've ever seen. He is just a dominant, he's a dominant player. He could have played in any era. This has been a great time chatting with you, Meta. Before we say goodbye here, uh, I wanted to double check on a couple things because I know you also have uh, CBS, your Beyond the Edge deal. Um, tell us about that, and then we're going to get to the Meta Panda Club stuff as well. Yeah, man, we got a CBS show called Beyond the Edge that I was a part of, the same producer that produced Survivor, and it's probably the most uh, 
adrenaline I had since game seven. I've never, ever experienced anything like this competition that they put us through. And I never had a feeling like this with the exception of game seven finals or any other big game that I played in. And that's what this is. This show is nonstop. And I really hope people enjoy it. I can't wait to watch it um, again. I don't mean, I didn't, I didn't see it yet. I was part of it. But it's, it was insane experience. And it's, you know, in the jungles of Panama, we got there, had to build our own, like, hut, you know, and we had to, he was fishing for food, living off bananas and coconut water for a little bit of time. You know, um, we was uh, sleeping in the pitch black jungle. They removed, I think, 16 boa constrictor snakes. Um, so it was like all types of poisonous spiders, monkeys. They, they cleared out the area, but, you know, these monkeys were for sure present. And they were not happy, you know, um, that we were there. How many days was this? Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't speak on too much. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, things happen. But um, it was a, it's 10 episodes, which probably equated to, you know, maybe two weeks. But I can't, like, tell you everything. Yeah, no, I got it. I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to get in trouble here. All right, so that's Beyond the Edge on CBS. Um, so Meta will be in that one. And then I also know with the Meta Panda community, um, you got X versus X Sports and the Meta Panda Club. You guys have a million things going on. So just give us a sense of what's going on. Yeah, man. So X versus X Sports is a platform I started so basketball players can get exposure and basketball enthusiasts. Some people dream of, you know, playing in the NBA. Some people dream of coaching, um, being a general manager, being a referee. Our platform, Experts at Sports, allows you to connect with basketball players and do that, you know, and get exposure, you know, for doing that locally, where some people work nine to five. They don't really have time to play basketball in between that time. So our platform allows you to stay connected with the basketball community in your area. Um, we also do stats on our platform. You can post content on, our, on Experts at Sports, the app. You know, follow us on Instagram. And now we paired up with the Meta Panda Club, which we're doing our NFT basketball games, the first ever NFT basketball games. We have people where we let our fans on our Discord uh, vote uh, which players, you know, you would, which, do you want to give an NFT to? Or you can vote for that. Tonight we have a game, uh, a woman's game, which is going to be launching that. And um, we have a couple other NFTs that's dropping and all focused on basketball. So definitely, if you know nothing about NFTs, follow us um, at Experts X Sports, direct message us, ask us questions, and also the Meta Panda Club with one T. Um, and, you know, direct message us. If you want to get on the white list, um, you, you can do that. You know, so we're just trying to connect offline and online basketball for the local community. I'm not really targeting a lot of, I'm not really targeting like top pros like a lot of other companies do. I'm focusing more on the everyday player and the player that's trying to make it. So that's kind of where we're at with it. Well, that sounds, uh, that's a lot going on. I'm excited about the CBS stuff, stuff there as well. Uh, look, as a long, as a long time Johnny's fan, I've rooted for you your entire career and it was great to get the chance to hang out. All right. Absolutely, man. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, what do we got here? 62225, 28, recently moved into a fixer-upper about six months ago. I got married two months ago. I have a friend who I had to convince my wife to let me invite to the wedding. He's been one of my best friends since childhood all through college. Uh, wow. So childhood all through college. He can just be a nightmare when he drinks. He loses his mind, starts fights out of nowhere, runs off and disappears for a few days, stuff like that. Runs off and disappears for a few days. I uh, can't really describe how bad it is. It's definitely messed with our relationship. The wedding is a destination wedding within the uh, United States, but still an unfamiliar area that could be dangerous to run off by yourself in. Oh, God. Uh, all right. Anyway, I convinced my wife to let him come, and it goes great. No problems at all. I start to think our relationship is getting back to where it used to be. We text a few times over the next month about sports, other bullshit. Out of nowhere one night, I get a text from him asking to borrow 50 bucks. He's never asked to borrow money before, but I figured tough times and sent it right over. Over the next month, we talk again here and there. No mention of paying me back, but still haven't hung out since the wedding two months ago. One day, I'm doing some work on my house, not really looking at my phone so I don't distract myself. Uh, really trying to get this house done because on top of being newly married and just wanting to stop living in a construction zone, we're trying to have a baby. Anyway, I finished my work for the day, checked my phone. I have five text messages and a missed call from this friend asking me to come to the bar. It's late and I haven't answered in a few hours, so I figured no need to answer and I go to bed. I wake up the next morning, two texts at 1.50 a.m. saying, quote, might need a place to live soon and, quote, any chance. I try not to be heartless. I want to help people out where I can but no mention of paying rent, and he brings nothing to the table construction-wise. Also, no explanation as to why he needs a place to live. Um, last I checked, he lived with his parents. Also, no time frame on how long he needs to stay. It's been about 24 hours since. I saw the text. I haven't responded. He hasn't mentioned it. Should I just continue to ignore it as a drunk, te drunk text? Um, no clue what my, my next move is. i tell you what your next move is, is not fucking having this guy move in. Um, that's the most simple part of it. If you were by yourself and it's great that you have a big heart, I think that, you know, that's a, that's a commendable thing, but it also like, as you read this out loud, you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Why would you even think about introducing this kind of deal to your life? It doesn't make any sense. Um, do you want your wife to hate you? You know, like, why would you go like whatever you're no, there's every relationship is going to have a lot of problems. Uh, this is adding one. Now, if we want to move back to your line on this and being a little bit more sensitive to the issue here, clearly your friend has some real issues. And I don't want to diagnose stuff necessarily over an email here, but with my own experience with certain friends, guys you grow up with, guys you become close with, the guys that go in and out, the getting hammered and disappearing for days move, like there's something going on there, all right? And I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Um, that this is a pattern of stuff where it reminds me of like a, a couple people where I would say that their day to day is, is very tough for them. Um, so I think you're totally clear. 
I know this sort of is, is a shitty thing to say, but like when somebody has a pattern of this kind of behavior and then they send you crazy texts all the time, ignoring them sometimes is the right move. Now, somebody would say, hey, that's ridiculous. If you care about this person, you need to reach out. You need to make sure that you can handle. All right. But there's a line of how much you can like, be mentally supportive here. There's a line of how much you would exhaust yourself knowing that you still have your own stuff that you want to do in your own life. So if you want to feel better about it, you can pull them aside and do the thing that almost none of us do. And certainly men don't do very well where you go, hey, what the fuck is going on with you? All right. Like I've known you your whole life. We know the whole deal. So when you send me this kind of stuff, like, is there something that can be done other than moving in with me? Now, if it were just you and clearly you care about this guy, then maybe you could help him get back up on his feet at $50. I don't think this email is about the 50 bucks, but I think in this case, it doesn't make any sense for you to be inviting this in to not only your life, but your living situation and whatever family that you're trying to put together here. So you could reach out about it and try to get there. I, I don't know that you're equipped for it. I don't think I'm equipped for it, certainly in this case, but there's some patterns of stuff here that are alarming, but also kind of your own answer to your email that I don't, I mean, this isn't really a tough debate here. Yeah, I was going to say the only thing was, unless he's like a superstar GC who also just can't handle his life. Like if, if unless he's like could give you the best deck and basement or whatever you're doing. Um, so, so you're saying if he were good, if you yeah. were good at framing or something, and still great. had all the rest of the stuff. Yeah, something I, great. And it's just like, um, like what's that Jamie Foxx movie? The guy was on the street, but he was awesome at cello or something. Like if it was like that, the recruit. Maybe, I don't remember. I don't think I, it never looked like I was going to see it, but the Ray, the, no, no, definitely not that. Definitely not that he was a violin guy. It doesn't matter. Um, I think, I think unless, unless there's something that he could really bring to the table, which he kind of just said in passing, like, yeah, and he's like no construction help. So yeah, this is a no. And I, and honestly, I think it's fine to say no. I don't, I don't think you, you probably feel better about yourself. if You said no, rather than ignored him. So I don't know. I think Kyle's right. Like, see if he can, you know, if there's some demo work that needs to be done, like give him some things to do. But is it is it would it be ridiculous to kind of reach out to his family and just be like, hey, like just kind of notice some things like what's going on? Just like at least try to figure out the source of the problem to maybe see if you could find a solution in the future other than, you know, just saying no or ignoring him. I mean, at least do a little bit of something. It doesn't mean that you have to take him in and have him live in your place for a couple months. It's just just do a little investigating. Talk to some other people who, you know, that know him. And just say, what the hell can we figure out what the hell is going on so we can help this guy? I mean, I think you could do a little bit that doesn't include, you know, basically having this guy be your, your roommate for a while. Yeah, I think that's that's all fair. Um, you know, it's it is nice that you care this much. I'm not trying to sound cold here. Um, I have I have a friend, you know, that sort of in and out of the picture every few years, and I hear from him, I don't know, every couple of years, and the phone calls are like, they're tough. You know, I had him saying he could tell by my breathing that my shoulder was dislocated on the phone. And I was, he was like, you know, are you working out? I was like, yeah. He's like, what's going on? He's like, I could tell by your breathing, the pace of it. You know, and I was like, yeah, okay, man. I was like, great. good talking to you. <laughs> you know, great catching up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you come, there comes a time in your life where you just go, you know, I don't, I don't have time for Yeah, this. you don't have time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. I, just I don't, don't think you need to apologize to anyone for like having a life and being busy. But I also think that there, there, you know, there are a few little things you could do to just 
see what see what the deal is. And if you can help, you can help. If you can't, then, you know, I think your conscience is clear. And some guys respect no. Like, so you know, what some guys don't respect if you're like, oh, let me see. I got to figure it out. And then they sort of are latching onto that little window that you're giving them that maybe because you really don't have the stones to say no or you haven't said no because you haven't gotten back to them. Like some guys respect no. Like, yeah, they might be like, oh, dude, you suck. But then like then you move on. It's it's once you get wishy washy about it and like don't really put your foot down that maybe they'll kind of weasel their way into trying, even though, you know, it's never going to happen. It could just make it way worse if you don't actually address it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, apathy would be the worst situation there. Like if your friends don't even care enough to respond to you, if tough love is better than no love, I guess. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, I I know that, you know, doing these. These emails, these life advice emails, you know, in a way you kind of want to cover every angle because I know that there's there's probably a portion of the audience listening going, well, wait a minute. Clearly, there's this, this and this with this guy and somebody needs to do this and be proactive about it. And how will you feel about like I'm already processing all of that stuff. I'm looking at it as simply as is how would you act if you just got married and you're trying to have a kid and you get a guy that's pretty unpredictable asking you to move in. All of you would all of you would say no. It's not okay. you, me, and Dupree. Like he's not awesome. Like you know, I get it. Was Dupree awesome? I thought he was. It's not a shock. He was like skateboarding with the kids in the neighborhood. I don't know. I just don't think it would be as fun loving as that. True. True. Okay, let's do another quick one. Uh, how to tell my friend I'm not going to live with him anymore. Twenty three five nine one sixty. He changed the names. So Great. that we don't have to. Like many Midwesterners, I moved to Chicago after graduating from school last summer. Since then, I've been living in an apartment with one of my old fraternity brothers, Ben. He's a good roommate, and we haven't had any big issues. Despite this, I won't be renewing our lease, and I'm planning to live with another friend moving to Chicago named Matt. Ben never did anything wrong. I'm just better friends with Matt and would rather live with him. <laughs> ben and I have known each other since freshman year of college, and I still want to be friends with him, even if we aren't living together. How do I break the news to him without ruining our friendship or making him think I don't like him. Thanks, guys. Uh, I would just tell Ben, hey, I'm moving in with Matt. As soon as possible. Yeah, that's it. Now, Maybe even find wit- someone else, to, right? That that kind of takes it, the, the edge off. You're like, I think this guy will take my spot. Yeah, I don't know about that part of it. Um, I would have rather, any situation where we had where they were like, hey, I got a subletter. <laughs> I'm like, who's, this? I would rather lose the apartment and start over again. I don't, I don't need Todd moving his <laughs> futon in and being like, hey, do you, I have a better futon than what you have. I'm like, yeah, but it's mine. And then I have to put it in storage. Yeah, but I have one and I, it's better. The hinges are better. All right. So guys uh, breaking up with other guy roommates. Yeah, I can understand it's a little delicate. And you're right, Kyle, telling him as soon as possible so that it's not like that's where you can really fuck this up is you wait until the last moment because you want to delay the confrontation. And by delaying the confrontation, you put him in an impossible spot where he's like, well, if you knew this the whole time, you should have already fucking told me. So, yes, great job, Kyle. Tell him as soon as possible. But I mean, come on. You want to live with Matt. Matt sounds cooler. Um, if a guy gets really mad at you for wanting to live with a different guy and then you break up his friends, that's on the original roommate. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Like, I can't get mad. Like, I'm getting along with Steve. Steve and I live together. And I'm like, hey, but I really want to live with Kyle. But Steve, I still want to be friends. I mean, this is this sounds a lot more like dating than it does living situation. If Steve is going to say we're not friends anymore, we can't talk, 
because I moved in with Kyle, then all right, Steve, see you later. I don't think I should get mad about this though. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I don't even think you have to come up with any other reasons. Oh, it's closer to work, whatever. I don't even think you need to do any of that. I just think it's be like, how do you want to do this? Do you want me to try to find someone? We could talk to the landlord or whatever, because moving does suck. Even though you're moving in with your new buddy or whatever, it's still going to suck for you even. So for now that this guy has to, you know, who's probably been uh, counting on staying another year, because honestly, even even in this place that, you know, I don't love, but um I would be counting on staying another year than having to pack up all my shit and and pay some guys to help me move my stuff and and whatever. So, I mean, it sucks for no matter why you have to move, but uh, I just think it'd be better for him not the, your friend that you know you're trying to maybe remain friends with. It'd be better if he if he if he could take his best shot at moving rather than like finding out when you decide that you know there's only two three more weeks that we'll even have to worry about this because then I can move in with Brandon or whoever the fuck he is. Yeah, there's well, really Brandon no magic. I don't know where Brandon lives. Yeah. There's really no magic phrase or whatever that you could say that's going to make it better on the guy who you're leaving. You know, like either he's going to accept it or he's not going to accept it. And you've already made your choice as to which friend you're more interested in hanging out with. So, you know, as Kyle said, just tell him early, be honest. And, you know, hopefully you guys can, can still hang out and have fun. But if not, like you made your choice. So it is what it is. So we wouldn't lie here? No, I don't think I would. Well, what, lie and say what? Like, this guy's helped me with rent or something? Or I, I, what, what, what are you saying? Because the lie would have give you a much better chance of preserving the friendship with the original roommate. Right? But give me an example. Like, what would you say? I guess the, the, you lie could, the lie could be, as long as it's not like about like a weird money situation, maybe you could say the rent's better. You could do that. Be like, hey, listen, we found this place. The rent's crazy and it's rent locked. Don't worry about it. But like, it's just better. Don't it's ask just, questions. Yeah. It's just better. <laughs> and honestly, I can get to work so much faster. I just, I got to do it, buddy. Maybe if you just do that and leave no room for. Yeah, but all that stuff like is pretty easily Googleable. And he could, I mean, right. He could probably tell whether it's closer to your work situation or not. Maybe. <laughs> so it has to be true. The money then, the money. Be like this, dude, it's unbelievable the money we got this thing for. Be like, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to shovel the driveways and I'm going to get like 800 bucks off rent in the winter. So. You know, yeah, I got to do it. Personal, <laughs> yeah, got to do it. I just got to bring the trash out and it's going to be like unbelievable savings. You wouldn't believe it. All right. We'll do uh, hammer life advice a little harder a little bit later this week, but we're just packed with awesome stuff. Thursday's show is going to be incredible, too. So um, good stuff all around. And by the way, for Thursday, I've got a bunch of GMs and front office people. I'm hoping to get up to, I don't know, maybe eight or nine teams to chime in on how they see the top of the NBA draft. But obviously, some teams are a little less likely to share that stuff if they're going to end up with one of those picks. So that's the holdup because I was going to do it today, but we're going to do it Thursday uh, instead. So just trying to get more people in on that. Thanks to Kyle and Steve. Please subscribe to the Ryan Russell Podcast. We're in your Spotify. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th, 
and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.